the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, happy Friday, October 7th, 2022. Open Lines Friday, 602-508-0960 is the number. I am Seth Leibson. If you want to join the conversation, add to it, uh, bring up something, 602-5080-960. Yesterday, Joe Biden granted pardons for everyone convicted in the federal justice system, the federal criminal justice system of marijuana possession. If President Joe Biden wanted to do something serious about crime, criminal justice reform and drug use, he might have said or done something about preventing one of the most ignored catalysts of crime, which is illegal drug use. Instead, he did something seriously irresponsible by attempting to sanitize and detoxify the dangers of and caused by that very drug use. At a time of rising crime, drug use and drug poisoning deaths, President Biden sent the country the wrong signal and the wrong message at the wrong time. In his statement yesterday on granting pardons for criminals convicted of marijuana possession, the president stated, quote, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. Sending people to prison for possessing marijuana has upended too many lives and incarcerated people for conduct that many states no longer prohibit, close quote. Well, as even The Washington Post admits, states in its main story today, quote, no one, may I begin that sentence again? No one is currently serving time in federal prison solely for the crime of simple marijuana possession. No one. While White House spokesman said the president's announcement will affect some 6,500 people with marijuana possession convictions, it is worth pointing out that the message the president is sending is far more impactful for what it says and will say to current and future marijuana users and traffickers than for those 6,500 convicts. Those convictions reach back to 1992 thus constituting about 29 convictions per year, which would be about one-half of 1% of all federal convictions in any one of those given years. Overlooked is the simple fact that conviction for marijuana crimes at the federal level are not convictions for simply possessing marijuana. As John Walters has pointed out when he was our nation's drug czar, quote, The vast majority of inmates in state and federal prison for marijuana have been found guilty of much more than simple possession. Some were convicted for drug trafficking, some for marijuana possession, along with one or more other offenses. And many of those serving time for marijuana pled down to possession in order to avoid prosecution on much more serious charges. Again, to quote The Washington Post, no one is in Incarceration in the federal system for mere marijuana possession. No one. We might say at least this much for President Biden's announcement. It will reveal the false claims 
by a movement that we have that states that we have a scourge of mass incarceration based on prosecuting simple marijuana use. Once we see the full criminal and sentencing records of these 6,500 convicts, it will wreck the narrative that these people were just smoking or ingesting marijuana, minding their own business and harming nobody else when the feds came crashing in. You will not find that. So instead of saying or doing something about actual violent crime and rising drug use and death, the president instead communicated the message that the federal government has been overreacting to illegal marijuana use. In fact, I think we're underreacting to it. In an era of rising crime and attention to mass shootings, a message and effort of prevention of use rather than excusing such use and apologizing for its criminal liabilities and sanctions would have been far more helpful, not only to our youth and their futures, but to our society as a whole. As Alyssa Finley put it in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of months ago, Mass shooters at Representative Gabby Gifford's constituent meeting in Tucson, the movie theater shooting in Aurora, Colorado, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, the First Baptist Church shooting in Sutherland Springs, Texas, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, were all done by reported marijuana users. You can add Uvalde to that as well. It could be a coincidence, but increasing evidence shows a connection. Our nation's youth are now using marijuana much more frequently than in the past and at higher and higher doses with the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, THC, far more potent than at any time of the past. And we're seeing an attendant rise uh, rise in what's called cannabis use disorder. It's not a made-up name. It's not a made-up phrase. It's an actual condition listed in the diagnostic Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as the DSM or the DSM-5, used by psychologists and psychiatrists. It's called Cannabis Use Disorder. And with that higher use, we are seeing rising mental health problems, rising crime, and many young people graduating to even stronger drugs, tragically ending their journey at fentanyl. The idea that marijuana is a pacifier, calming and mellowing out all of its users is an idea not validated by the science and research, something this administration keeps telling us to follow when it comes to public health. Study after study over the past several years have found and keep confirming such findings as, quote, violence is a well-publicized, prominent risk for the more potent current and current marijuana available. They also established that, quote, marijuana use causes violent behavior through increased aggressiveness, paranoia, and personality changes, and that, quote, marijuana is a predictable and preventable cause of tragic violent consequences, close quote. That's citing from four different peer-reviewed recent journals. If President Biden were serious about our nation's problems, he would have done better than reaffirm the myths of the innocence of marijuana and its users and instead said and done something about the connection between rising mental health challenges, growing crime, increased drug use, and the path to deadly fentanyl. He was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate in the late 80s, and he created the Office of National Drug Control Policy, the position of drug czar Joe Biden did. It's fair to say as a U.S. senator, nobody was more committed to reducing drug use and crime in the Democratic Party than Joe Biden when he was a senator. Today, he's not only missing in action, 
He's missing in action in supporting and staffing the very office he helped create, the Office of National Drug Control Policy. If there are 10 people outside of Washington, D.C., who can even name the current drug czar, we'd be surprised. I saw Bill Bennett talking about some of this with Larry Kudlow on Fox Business the other day, and Larry Kudlow said to Bill Bennett, the nation's first drug czar, who is our current drug czar? The nation's first drug czar had no idea, never heard of him, never heard from him, never heard a thing about him. We would be surprised, as I say, if 10 people outside the Beltway knew there was a drug czar. This in a time of rising drug poisoning deaths. You want to know how bad they've risen? Think about this. When that office was created, Office of National Drug Control Policy, we were losing about 10,000 people a year to drug overdose. Think about that. It's in a country of about 245, 250 million people back then. We are now losing 108,000 people a year to drug poisonings, drug deaths in a country that is now about 332 million people. So that means while our population increased by about a third, 33%, drug deaths have increased by almost a thousand percent. Think about that. What will not be surprising is more social destruction by more lenience when it comes to enforcing our drug laws. This is the message a responsible president would and should communicate. Illegal drugs pose a serious danger. They frequently lead users to harm themselves and to harm others, and they are particularly dangerous to young people. Drug use, particularly drug addiction, can destroy the capacity of individuals to be self-governing and responsible. Illegal drugs thus threaten the foundation of American democracy and the roots of decent community life. Appropriate legal, government, and non-government actions can reduce the threat and the damage caused by illegal drugs without unjust or excessive costs. Although there are similarities between some of the dangers posed by illegal drugs and other threats and other substances, most all of alcohol consumption and most of all alcohol consumption and cigarette smoking And although alcohol is a recognized catalyst for crime as well, like drugs, the harm caused by alcohol is, if anything, a reason not to treat illegal drugs in the same manner. So when folks say, well, let's just make something currently dangerous and illegal, like alcohol, let's regulate it like alcohol. Ask yourself if you're really thinking through that analog appropriately. In Arizona, anywhere between 20 and 30 percent of our teens regularly abuse alcohol. Fourteen and a half million Americans have an alcohol use disorder in this country. About 100,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making alcohol the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. That doesn't include the other 10,000 deaths from alcohol-related driving accidents. I'm waiting, meanwhile, for Joe Biden to say something, something prominent about America's real dangers and not invented or phantom ones. There is real violence and real drug danger in America, and they are connected intimately. What is not connected is this administration's concern for that which is really harming all of us. The focus is wrong. The approach is wrong. This administration is wrong on darned near everything. And now this. If you can't make life better or easier for Americans, 
At least how about not making it harder and worse? I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Are you worried about stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return and no correlation to the stock market? If you're looking for a remarkable, unique investment opportunity, please check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is offering a great investment, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And your investment can be in a trust, an IRA, just as much as it can be an individual or joint investment. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, yrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. That's 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do. And they'll let it speak for itself. As you know, uh, or may have heard, we are doing a great event on Sunday, October uh, 23rd, afternoon event. Uh, so you'll have your evening free. Uh, it's called the Battleground Talkers Tour. And we'll be bringing in Mike Gallagher along with Brandon Tatum, Charlie Kirk, myself. Blake Masters will be there. And uh, we have several kinds of tickets available. You can get them at 960thepatriot.com. Tickets start at only $5, but we also have uh, preferred seating, and I'm going to give a pair of tickets away right now, two of them, free to you, if you are caller number two at 602-508-0960. I will give you a pair of two tickets, premium seating, for our Battleground Talkers Tour event this, no, not this Sunday, but Sunday, October 23rd, a couple Sundays from now. And it's going to be great. Mike Gallagher, Charlie Kirk, Brandon Tatum, me, Blake Masters, and other special guests as well. So if you're caller number two, we will happily give you those tickets. Um, you know, I am concerned an awful lot about, looks like we have our caller number two. Okay, good. Uh, I just say that because uh, if you are not talking to my producer right now, um, stay tuned. I'll be doing more giving uh, away of tickets, more ticket giveaways. Uh, but also you can buy tickets at 960thepatriot.com, 960thepatriot.com for that great event. Uh, we're going to be talking, obviously, about the uh, election, what we need to know, what we need to do. As you know, another uh, 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 one of my one of my passions in uh, in life and in a lot of volunteer activity is is uh, how we raise young people and uh, what they think. And also, yes, do we pay too much attention to what they think? That's an issue, too. We can talk about that as well. The Wall Street Journal uh, does an interesting thing once a week. It's called the Future View, and they sample a series of students, usually four or five, on various issues, college students. And uh, the one they uh, did this week, I've been uh, thinking about quite a bit. It's about um, the phenomenon of quiet quitting. You familiar with that phenomenon? Quiet quitting. Uh, quiet quitting is basically just showing up to work, doing your nine to five thing, nothing more, nothing extra. 
uh, not staying till five oh one, not getting in at five at um, at uh, at eight fifty nine. You know, just doing the exact Martinet ordered thing to get you through the day. That's what quiet quitting is. Not not going a little bit of the extra step. Anyway, I um, to, that most of us, you know, I think from a different generation, um, an older, slightly older generation, didn't do. I don't know about you. When I was um, when I got my first jobs in law firms, I always made the uh, point of being there, a first person there. The other attorneys would see when they walked in, so I'd get up extra early. It's just the way I was brought up to succeed in life. Anyway. Uh, we're doing something. It's a, it, there's a different work ethic with Generation Z. There's a din- different work ethic with millennials. Uh, I love this response from a student, uh, an English major at the University of Notre Dame. He writes, why work? In the past, people were lauded, were lauded, celebrated for hard work. The modern world praises comfort and balance instead. Think of remote work. Few white-collar workers go into the office anymore. They would rather lounge in Lululemon sweatpants in their Google Nest homes. Instead of wearing suits with combed back hair, billionaires such as Mark Zuckerberg sport plain white shirts with tousled tousled locks. The 21st century dress code of corporate American leaders reflects their approach to work. It isn't high stakes. This trickles down on their Generation Z subordinates who look for excuses to work less. Zoom instead of travel and demand ridiculous HR benefits. If you don't have to work hard, why would you? The farmer working to put food on the table is a distant memory as Asaya Bowls, Netflix, and TikTok dominate the mind. A recent interaction demonstrated this new apathy for hard work. My mom told her friend from a local tennis club that her son hoped to join the military. The woman responded, why would you let him do that? He has so many safer options. This is the sentiment about hard work in our country. Someone else will do it. I was talking about this uh, at a reception with some folks last night, and it reminded me of a, uh, of a story, a story from the Book of Virtues. I don't think it's very well known, but you often will hear me say all God's creatures have work to do. It comes from that story. I think it's relevant to that, and if you want a little story time, we'll do that when we come Right back. I am Seth Liebson, 602-5089-60. Anything on your mind, it is Open Line Fridays. Blake Masters will be joining us a little later in the show. Pete Peterson, George Kaloff, and, of course, you. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. All right, a little bit of a story here from the Book of Virtues. All God's creatures have work to do. Two cousins... Well, I'd be curious to know if any of you have ever heard this story before. Two cousins grew up side by side from the day they both entered the world. They learned to crawl and toddle together. Great word, toddle. And later, how to run and swim and play ball and all the other things boys do together. They were constant and devoted friends. But eventually, they began to drift apart, as sometimes happens, as even good friends move through life. One cousin took to his books, found a certain delight in learning, studied hard, passed his exams with flying colors. The other cousin decided books weren't such good companions. He skipped school a good bit so he could continue to swim and play ball. He ignored his lessons and ended up failing his exams. As is often the way of the world, fortune rewarded the first cousin and ended up becoming 
who ended up becoming an advisor to the king himself. The first cousin becomes the chief advisor to the king himself. The second cousin soon found himself employed as an oarsman on his majesty's, on the king's royal yacht, an oarsman. The sight of his cousin sitting at ease with royalty irked the oarsman to no end. Look at that lazy fellow lounging there in the shade while I must break my back in the sun, he thought as he rode. What gives him the right to sit up there any more than me? After all, aren't we both God's creatures? The more he thought about it, the oarsman, the angrier he grew. Look at those useless louts, he began grumbling to his fellow oarsmen. They call themselves advisors, but all they do is sit and gab. Why would we sweat so hard to push their carcasses against the current? There's nothing fair about it. They ought to be back here rowing, too. Aren't we all God's creatures? That evening, they tied the yacht to shore to make camp. Everyone ate and fell asleep quickly. The oarsman woke in the middle of the night to find a firm hand shaking him by the shoulder. It was the king himself. There's a strange noise coming from over there, the king said, pointing. I can't get to sleep from wondering what it is. Please go find out. The oarsman jumped off the boat and ran up a hill. He came back a few minutes later. It's nothing, your majesty. He said a cat has just given birth to a litter of noisy kittens. Ah, I see, said the king. What kind of kittens? The oarsman had not checked to see, so he ran up the hill again and came back. Siamese, he said. And how many kittens are there, the king inquired. Again, the oarsman had not noticed, so he went back. Six kittens, he reported. How many males? How many females, the king asked. The oarsman ran back once again. Three males, three females, he cried, beginning to lose his breath. I see, said the king. Come with me. They tiptoed to the bow of the boat, where the king woke the oarsman's cousin, the king's advisor. There's a strange noise up on that hill, the king told him. The advisor, go find him. Uh, Excuse me, go find out what that strange noise is. The advisor disappeared into the darkness and returned in a moment. It's a newborn litter of kittens, your majesty, he said. What kind of kittens, the king asked. Siamese, answered the advisor. How many? Six. How many males? How many females? Three males, three females. The mother gave birth in an overturned barrel just after we arrived. The cats belong to the mayor of the village. He hopes they have not disturbed you and invites you to come take your pick if the court is in need of a royal pet. The king looked at the oarsman. Son, he said, I overheard your grumbling earlier today. Yes, we are all God's creatures, but all God's creatures have work to do. I had to send you to shore four times for answers. My advisor went only once. That's why he's my advisor, and you must row the boat. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a really great story. All God's creatures have work to do. And it was put in mind of it as uh, I was discussing last night work ethics of the millennials and Gen Z and that piece in the Wall Street Journal I was telling you about where uh, they had polled these uh, college students about uh, the ethos and ethic of work. Uh, anyway, I it's, it's it is different now. It is different now. And of course, yes, I think that Notre Dame student has it right. Uh, COVID uh, shutdowns and lockdowns and teleconferencing and telecommuting. I think it made it all uh, different. And by different, I mean all worse. I think it all worse, including paying people not to work. I mean, turning this whole nation into a greater welfare state turned this whole nation, I believe, into an ethos where too much indolence reigns, way too much.
I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I own gold and other precious metals from them. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you already do. And more of you can. Others of you can as well. Just give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or check them, on, check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Talk about adding precious metals to your portfolio. They're great guys. They're just a great team over there, the Midas Gold Group. Fabulous. Uh, I love them. You will too. Um, how many of you watched or listened to the Mark Kelly Blake Masters Mark Victor debate last night? Uh, I watched it twice, actually. Um, and uh, <laughs> Mark Victor, <laughs> Bill and I know Mark Victor. <laughs> he um, he's the Libertarian candidate uh, running for the Senate. Uh, the spoiler, you might say, uh, we know him a few different ways. Uh, I've debated him twice. Uh, one of them you can see on on uh, YouTube or, or whatever your favorite video uh, sharing platform is. It's a few years ago. When was that? 2015, I think. I think it was 2015. Anyway, Mark Victor and I debated at ASU, and uh, you, you can see that if you want. Uh, I also had him in studio at his request for, I think it was a follow-up, if I'm not mistaken. Were you here when he was here, Bill? I mean, he's a nice guy, but he's just, he's he's out there. And as you know, my opinion about libertarians is very strong and very negative. Uh, but if you watched the main part of it, which was obviously uh, to see Mark Kelly and uh, Blake Masters going at it, um, honest to goodness, I got to tell you, it was one of the few debates. Bill and I were talking about this. You, you watch these debates and you say, damn it, I just wish the candidate, my candidate, would have said X. I wish the Republican would have said Y. I wish he would have gone to Z. And I think Bill and I both said, uh, both agreed, there was none of that from Blake. I think he covered the territory and the ground perfectly, uh, pitch perfect. And these are hard. You know, it's hard to be on your feet being condemned by, you know, your opponent, as well as, you know, knowing that the moderator isn't exactly on your side. Um, I thought he never once lost his... uh, train of thought or his composure and nailed every nailed everything i thought it was a master class on how to comport yourself i really do think that uh mark kelly is wanting i have to tell you um i don't think he has much to say he repeated himself often um he kept saying it's been my priority since day one uh it's been it's particularly about the border right blake had a great comeback <laughs> It's been your priority since day one. You've been doing a lousy job at it. But um, Mark Kelly's trying to play the nice guy who doesn't want to be exposed for leftist attitudes and positions. And Blake uh, stripped him of any notion of moderacy, I think, on uh, some of the big issues. I think 
They did get that question in that uh, some of you asked us to on the 87, the hiring of the 87,000 IRS agents. And uh, anyway, I would love your perspective on it, too. Blake will be with us uh, later in the show. We'll talk to him. You know what I want to ask? I want to ask him something. I um, I used to prepare candidates for debates. and I just haven't been asked. I'm still happy to help if any candidates are out there and want me to. You know, I offer that up, but um, free. But uh, uh, I haven't done it in a while. And uh, I'm curious how Blake... Uh, prepared. I'd, I'd like to ask him how he prepared for his debate. Wouldn't you be curious, Bill? I mean, that's a lot of territory to cover. It's a lot of ground to cover. And I suspect that um, I had a little experience with this myself. <laughs> I expect when you are uh, out doing all these events and taking Q&A from the audience, you hone and refine uh, your thoughts um, uh, for the debate. You get sentences and talking or thinking points and debate points you know, down through the give and take, which explains two things. Uh, interestingly, the negative, the absence of that, the other side of that, by not going out, by not submitting yourself to Q&A from audiences or media, uh, it leaves you in the place that I think Mark Kelly was left in last night, um, which is you know kind of stuttering and bumbling and just returning to the same talking point over and over that's not working in the first place. Um, and, and, and that's the problem of... Um, trying to stay quiet, trying to stay behind the curtains, not trying to be noticed, not trying to make noise and just voting down the line with your party without ever uh, exposing yourself to questions from your constituency or questions from the media. Where is Mark Kelly is a question that occurs from time to time when people think of it because they don't see him very much out there. They don't see him taking they don't see Mark Kelly taking tough questions. They don't see they don't see it with Katie Hobbs either, by the way. They don't see him taking tough questions. They don't see him taking really any questions. And um, I certainly haven't been to uh, any Mark Kelly uh, fundraisers, but I'm going to guess he doesn't get very many tough questions there, specifically and particularly because he didn't have a primary opponent, which obviously Blake Masters did and, uh, you know, had to prove his medal up and over against his uh, opponents, who were all uh, worthy competitors, too. Really very worthy competitors. All of them were. I remember uh, one of those debates I moderated with all of them early on. A person I was with said, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches. (laughs) They're all really good. (laughs) They're all really good. In any event, uh, I really do think uh, Blake did a good job. Oh, by the way, the second thing uh, I was just thinking, I saw a picture of Joe Biden fly across the screen here. Uh, uh, the other thing that happens when you aren't prepared. Notice this. Um, it's going to be hard with this next one. I think if Joe Biden, if Joe Biden's running for reelection, it's going to be hard because he's already coming off from such a compromised position. But debate watchers, presidential debate watchers, You can pretty much note that there's usually two. There used to be three. There's usually now two presidential debates. There used to be three and four in the 80s and 70s. Well, not so much the 70s, but in the 80s, there were really in 90s, there were three or four presidential debates. Um, uh, And and the, the one thing you can almost guarantee and see to a fairly well is the first one, almost every time I can think of, the first of those two or three or four, the incumbent president does not win. The incumbent president never really wins that first debate. I think we saw some of that with Trump in uh, 2020 on the first debate. 
many people remember Ronald Reagan's uh, re-election first debate with, in 1984 with Walter Mondale as a famous one. Do you know why the incumbent president usually doesn't win? It's not used to people challenging him. He's used to, you know, yes men and yes women. He's used to people not questioning him. Uh, he's used to softballs uh, from his staff. Um, and that's what you get. And that's why you end up with um, Mark Kelly not doing very well. Besides which, there's not really much he stands for that has anything to recommend itself. As Blake pointed out, if this has been your priority from day one, not doing a very good job. Blake did a great job last night. A lot of eyes were on it. Made national news the debate. Anyway, we'll talk to Blake later as well. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Balanceofnature.com is where you can go to get your fruits and veggies. Their fruits and veggies are 100% natural, pure, potent plant power. Boost your health, your immunity, your energy. Uh, nothing added. Uh, not colors, not sweeteners, not sugars, nothing. Nothing added to it. And it is third-party tested for all kinds of impurities, uh, everything from uh, toxins to metals, you name it. It's a great product, really the best product I've ever taken. Balanceofnature.com, fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Matt Continetti has a great piece in the uh, Washington Free uh, Beacon uh, today. I want to commend to all of you. Biden's day one actions haunt him still. It's always interesting to me. I was thinking of that because Mark Kelly kept saying it's been my priority. The border has been my priority. The economy has been my priority. Crime has been my priority from day one. Those day one actions. Um, you're looking at our energy problem right now. President Biden, Continenti writes, was outraged when uh, the oil and gas cartel OPEC announced that it would cut production by two million barrels of oil per day this week. He had reason to be angry. The this was personal, and the move had global implications. Yet the White House's true worry should be domestic, and Joe Biden really ought to look in the mirror. The OPEC embarrassment was the latest reminder that he, not Putin or Saudi Arabia, is the chief author of the Democratic Party's current woes when it comes to energy and gas prices. On issue after issue, the instructions that Biden gave at the outset of his presidency have made America less prosperous, less independent, and less secure. Energy and immigration tell the tale. Biden signed 17 executive orders on his first day in office. That's what his priorities were, those 17 executive orders. And two of them dealt with U.S. oil and gas production. One order pledged that America would join the Paris Climate Accords and commit to the deal's targeted reductions in carbon dioxide emissions. The other order blocked oil and gas exploration in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, forbade drilling in large parts of Utah, and canceled the Keystone XL pipeline between the U.S. and Canada. One week later, Biden stopped issuing new oil and gas leases on public lands. He knew what he was doing. And he was, uh, as he said, and as his spokesman put it, trying to transition us to clean energy. And the clean energy revolution isn't ripe yet. It isn't here yet. And we got rid of energy independence. And now we have to go hat in hand to places like Saudi Arabia and Venezuela to bail out the bad decisions of Joe Biden. And they aren't saying yes. Those first day decisions, those priorities on day one, they matter. 
They matter. George Kellef will be joining us when we come right back. We'll talk politics. We'll talk about the debate last night and a lot more. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.